This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. This episode of Wishers Breakway is brought to you by you. Yeah, you listening. Um... And I mean it seriously this time because Greg and I are celebrating today our five-year anniversary show, which has been, it's been a weird emotional day for me, if I'm being honest, to look back, uh, right? We started the show when I was 26. I'm going to go on a little bit of a ramble here, so stick with me. Started the show when I was 26 in my bedroom, and I'm actually back in my bedroom tonight for the first time in a long time because I'm babysitting my dog here back in New York. You know, I'm 31 now. We've done a presidential term. My beard has gone totally gray in some spots. Uh, the Rangers have finished their rebuild, question mark. And gotten some really nice draft picks. Started a church. Um, talked to Adam Clendenning. Have definitely done a lot of funny things on the podcast. You know, made friends with Rick after we hated him. And he's a nice guest on our fifth anniversary show. Um, started a rivalry with Vince. We've done it all. Um, interviewed at MSG multiple times. Been ignored at MSG multiple times. Tried to do Rangers everything with them. And just, I'm always trying to make the best content, Rangers, Ranger content we can. And Greg and I, we hate each other. I mean, uh, we have an animosity. I mean... We somehow work together, um, and I have to give him all the credit in the world because to talk to me every single Monday for five years straight is hard, and likewise with him. Uh, it's a situation where I can't believe we've come this far, and I can't thank you all enough. I've made great friends. We're talking like people I consider family from this podcast, uh, You know, Nick, Bob, a bunch of people I won't name out there, um, everybody. There's so many. I, it feels weird just like sitting here naming names for a while. But there's a lot of people that I've, I've grown really close with. I'll say one more, Dan. Um, and it's weird to be like, oh, how'd you meet all these friends and people you really love? Like, oh, podcast. And I've got to work with great people. I've got to have great experience. And I honestly, I the people that support us, like our Patreon subscribers and people that have reached out to us and people that have said like, hey, you get me through the week and all that stuff. Like, I can't believe it sometimes. Uh, it gets me really emotional, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, so with all that being said, I can't, Thank you so much for supporting Greg and I over the past five fucking years where we just record every single Monday night to make sure that if you're a Ranger fan, you have something to listen to on Tuesday, no matter what it is, whether it's the Mets <laughs> or whatever we're talking about. You know, I always try and bring it back to the Rangers um, at the end of the day. Little Greg, little Greg call there at the end of the day. All right. Love you guys. We're going to get to the show now. Here we go. Here's Mark Messier. I, and again, thank you all so much to support everybody over the years. Literally everyone. Thank you. 
Hi everybody, it's Mark Messier, and you're listening to Blue Shirts Breakaway, the number one Rangers podcast. Busher Break Fans, welcome to the week of the Busher's Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co-host, Greg Kaplan of The Athletic. I'm also the, of, the, of The Athletic, and it is our five-year anniversary. Gregory, since we last spoke, so much has happened. Say hello. 260 Mondays later. It's sickening. What number, what number did you think we would get to? Like, the honest answer? Yes. I thought we'd, like, teeter out at 107, and I'm dead-ass serious. Like, I, I thought, like, 107, we'd be like, all right, we did 100 episodes. That was commendable, <laughs> right? Like, great job by us by going that far. We could call it now, you know? But 260 is a lot, Greg. It's- I got to be honest. I don't know if I ever thought we'd get to 50. I think once we got to 50, I was like, we're definitely getting to 100. Like, that, yes. was, that was the goal. Once we hit 50, I was like, all right, 100 is obtainable. 260 doesn't make sense, like, when I really think about it. It's like, whoa, every Monday for 260 straight Mondays, I've talked to Greg. Yeah. yeah. There, now, there was there was one Monday where I was only on for five minutes. Right. Because you were still on. I was doing basketball in Norfolk, Virginia. Yep. For Savannah State. Yep. Uh, and then there was another Monday where you and I pre-recorded something because we went to Europe for two weeks. Right. But other than that, I mean, I've, I've recorded this podcast from a couch in Switzerland. Um, yep. We've done it from hotel rooms. I did it from a hotel room in Vegas. You did it from a car driving home from a football, uh, kickball game. Sorry. There's been – and that wasn't I even – I also a- did it from a car driving home from said European trip. Yes. Yeah. After we got off an overnight trip, both of us. Fuck, man. We've done so much to get this podcast – going here and uh it's been a wild ride i it's been a weird day just thinking about how it's been five years i still can't believe it and especially because the last two weeks have been um like let's talk about the biggest news there was over the last two weeks right trebek i mean rest in peace that guy's a legend yeah that one hit that a lot of them have hit hard this year uh tom siever hit really hard for obvious reasons i i'm starting i'm getting to an age now where it doesn't really matter how hard it hits for me I get affected by how hard it hits my dad. Yeah. So Tom right. Tom Seaver was a really big one. Uh, getting Connery and Trebek in the same essential two week period feels just like a quadruple punch. It's a somehow. rough one, especially. And, and then you've had a week of emotions because obviously you work in news, and I don't know if you heard about the yeah. New, the new, I, got, I gotta tell you, the president uh, elect. <laughs> yeah. Well. The inside baseball here for everyone. If you've been listening for 260 episodes, I guess you've deserved a little bit peek behind the curtains. Ryan texted me at what had to have been noon, 1230 today, being like, hey, man, let's fire up at 7. We'll have our guests come on at 745. The incomparable Steve Cohen or Rick Carpinello. One I don't know which one it yeah, is. Yeah, it's a surprise. Yet. One of them will call us. Sorry. Um, and then I just didn't respond to you for a literal four hours because I didn't want to jinx anything. Uh, in my head, I was like, all right, seven. I've now gotten to the point where I just don't expect work to ever be normal again until we're about one week removed from inauguration. Yeah. I think work is just going to be hell I agree. until then. Yeah. Uh, work has been hell on my side also. Uh, I know this is just us talking about our lives, so deal with it. It's our five-year anniversary, and we're going to have Rick Carpinello on. Uh, so you can. I'll put the timestamp in if you want to fast forward to it, I promise. But 
even with that, Greg, last week as I was at the protests in Philadelphia, which were wild, um, I have to say, absolutely crazy. Definitely, uh, COVID was <laughs> looking over it, like rubbing its hand together. It was fucking awesome. Um, on top of that, you know, the Mets blew up their old front office, which we're going to do a whole segment on at the end of the podcast after after Rick. So uh, we'll get to that. So if you want to hear Gregory's Mets takes, we're going to put it at the end. Um, I guess we should talk about some Rangers, but I just want to congratulate us one time. Uh, great job, bud. I can't believe we did it five years. It's uh, We've accomplished so much and yet gotten so little. <laughs> uh, well, we've made some friends. That's really nice. And, and uh, Something yeah. Something like that. Something like that. Yes. All right. Let's talk about uh, the Ranger news from the week because there actually is Ranger news and there's something I want to throw towards your way. And, and tell me if... Mm. Uh, Tell me if you think I'm crazy for this. I, I speaking of making friends, I for th- this. So just for this specifically, just this, just specific thought process. Um, I, I spoke with our good friend Dan LaRose for a good three and a half hours, like or something, the other day, because uh, we're psychopaths. And one thing we discussed in in depth um, was the difference between signing Jesper Fass and Brendan Lemieux. Now, I did the math. I'm not a math guy, but I did the math. There is a 0.45 difference in in monies uh, between Jesper Fass and Brendan Lemieux. Um, when it comes to like, I think it's $450,000 or something like that. And while that is a significant difference to any, me or you would take four hundred five. That's a lot of cash, Greg, is what I'm trying to say. Um, but when it comes down to it, would you rather have Brendan Lemieux for two years? Or would you rather have Jesper Fast for three? Because you're, the logic, according to John Davidson at this point in time, was like, hey, we have a place to play him. We have a lot of young guys we want to play. And like, yes, Brennan Lemieux is only two years and Jesper Fass is three, but can, couldn't you not, couldn't you just trade him at that point? And if you wanted to make up that difference in money um, earlier in the off season, I mean, if you don't sign Jack Johnson, which we've already talked about in depth on this podcast for 1.15 million and maybe sign somebody for nine two five, like that's half that money. Like, am I crazy for thinking about that might just be a mismanaged situation or am I overvaluing the overly, the always underrated Jesper Fass in this situation? I I don't know. I don't think it wouldn't be. It, it's not signing Jesper Foss to a three year deal, though. It's signing Jesper Foss to a one year deal and then helping Seattle doesn't take him in the expansion draft, right? Yeah, because I guess it, that's true. It, it it would essentially come down to. It doesn't feel like the Rangers want to protect Ryan Strom, and I'm sure we'll talk about that later. We will. The Brandon Lemieux himself now feels like he's not going to be protected. It feels like the Rangers are keeping these guys around to make sure they're protecting their younger players. So if push comes to shove and the Rangers expose both Ryan Strom and Jesper Fast, Ryan Strom at four and a half, Jesper Fast at two. Jesper Fast is a goner you're there. telling me you wouldn't want just Jesper Fast at two? You think he might be the more effective player anyway? Totally a goner. Absolutely getting taken. So, that, so then the question isn't, well, should the Rangers have kept Jesper Fast or Brennan Lemieux? Know, we're talking about one year. And we already agree that this year ain't going to be great for the New York Rangers. So does it really matter at the end of the day? Is it a talking point that we should be upset about, feeling one way or the other about? I'm not sure. Look, the Jesper Foss thing sucks. I, I, I can't sit here and say anything to make it sound better. But I also – it would be weird if the Rangers protected Jesper Foss if they kept him because he'd be older, one of their older players, a guy who, again, good teams should be able to find Jesper Foss's without having to pay him. I understand the problem here is the Rangers didn't really have to pay him because the pandemic kind of screwed Jesper Foss. But Big time, yep. 
Big time. I mean, the argument is the Rangers wanted Jesper Foss back on a two-year deal. That's what they offered him. Yeah. So if if Jesper came back on a two-year deal, would they have gone two years with Brendan Lemieux? Would Brendan Lemieux still be a New York Ranger? Would he have been traded? That's a good I question. I think the difference here is the Rangers didn't want to go three for one reason or another. They clearly had the money to go three if they wanted to. Though I think what it really comes down to is the Rangers, after that second year, just can't or don't want to envision a scenario where Jesper Foss needs to be a top nine forward for them. Yeah, no matter what. It's not going to be a top nine forward for them. They don't want to be spending $2 million on a guy that might not be able to squeak significant ice time. So they just decided to play the kids. It Look, it sucks. Again, I'd rather have Jesper Foss than Brendan Lemieux if we're talking about it in a vacuum. At the same time, I can understand why the Rangers didn't want to go three years with Jesper. And if Jesper could get three years, I understand why he left. So it's, you know, it's a double-edged sword there. Agree. I, just, I didn't think of the Seattle point when I was having that discussion. I think that is like, maybe it doesn't matter. Like maybe no matter what happens, no matter who they kept, it didn't matter because they'll probably end up taking. Well, they, Seattle probably ends up taking Brett Howden. That is if the Rangers expose Brett Howden, by the way. That's not I a guarantee. I, with the two-year deal, I think the leader in the clubhouse is now strong. Because I, I think Seattle, we know a couple people in that front office. They're very smart. But at the uh, to, to say a 260-episode a uh, idiotism. Yes. Uh, at the end of the day, can Ryan. I, can I tell you, I did an intro and I did a nod to you saying that in the beginning of this wow. intro. I know. Wow. Just play the hits, baby. At the end of the day, I, I think Strom will probably get the hashtag points again this year. And Seattle will be smart enough to understand that even if he's a guy they can flip for things themselves at next year's deadline, I think Strom has become the leader in the clubhouse for Seattle, me personally. I think I agree with you. Let's speak about Strom now, I guess. So two years, they avoid arbitration. Mm -hmm. Rangers uh, continue their 11-year streak, I believe it was, of not taking any players to arbitration. Two years, $4.5 million. Um, Solid deal, both sides. Is there anything to complain about? You know, going the second year, like maybe you can complain about that, but otherwise, I don't see anything wrong here. From a Rangers perspective, it's it's perfect because the Rangers can do whatever the hell they want with Ryan Strom now. It it begs the – I mean – it, it also sucks for Ryan Strom. It does suck I, for Ryan Strom. He deserves that money. And Evolving Wild, by the way, had him at like eight years, like 5.7. <laughs> like an insane but they also amount. said they also said his two-year term would have been somewhere around like the 4.85 million range. Yes. So. And, and because of pandemic, you got to take half a million out of that and et cetera. They had the negotiating power as the, as the Rangers do in this situation. Maybe the arbiter go, like, arbitration we talked about in hockey is, is silly because it's not like they, they always find a spot in between of what the asking of the high and the yeah. low point was. It's kind of it's silly. silly. It, it really should be is. like baseball where you have to choose between what the team wants to pay and what the player wants to get paid. Absolutely. So it should be your only two options. You shouldn't get to create your own number. Um, but it, it does it does stink for Ryan Strom because there are a few players that should have been able to capitalize on a big season like Strom should have been able to. There really isn't a scenario in normal circumstances where he – shouldn't be making at least $5 million. And that that stinks. I feel for him. Like, I'm not going to sit here and say that 4.5 isn't a lot of money. It's, of course, more yeah. money than my big Right, right, Strom, doing good. But uh, could have done better. Yeah, but you, you also, you understand it from Ryan Strom's perspective. The flat cap is going to exist for the next two years. So if Strom did one year, what he, the money isn't going to be magically made available from other teams in a flat cap world. We don't know when fans are going to be going back to games we don't know how long this season is even going to be 
So there's there was no benefit for Ryan Strom to walk this to free agency. He might as well lock himself into a two-year deal that guarantees him some kind of money. Um, and it was probably smart on Strom's behalf to make the salary figure higher in year two than year one because there's a better chance of an 82-game season in year two than there is in year one. Yeah, there's not. Uh, a, I think there's a non like pretty much a zero percent chance of an 82-game season in year one. Yes, I would agree. But it, it's hard to see it from it's hard to see a negative from the Rangers' perspective. The Rangers have made it abundantly clear that they're happy to have Ryan Strome, but they don't see him as part of their long-term future. They've made it abundantly clear that they are comfortable with having Strome start the season as their 2C, but they will allow every and any player named Philip Heedle to try to take that spot away from him. They have announced that they are comfortable with eventually trading Ryan Strome. They've tried to do it already this offseason. They've seemingly said they're going to try to do it each of the next two trade deadlines and another offseason. They've made, by giving him two years, they've made it clear that they're willing to lose him in the expansion draft. Uh, you name it, the Rangers have every option available to them for a player that they are okay with having, but look forward to turning into a asset that is not currently in their system. So there, there, there are no complaints. The only complaints you can come up with come from the Ryan Strom camp. And I honestly, I, I do, I do. As I feel as bad for him as I could possibly feel for someone that's about to make four and a half million dollars next year. Which is it's it's hard to feel that bad, but you really when you look at it, he earned a lot it more than that. It sucks. It sucks. It, it sucks. Blows. He's not the only now he's not the only player getting pinched. Obviously, there are plenty of players getting pinched, and it sucks for all of them. But this one specifically to the New York Rangers, yeah, kind of sucks. I feel bad for Ryan Strom. On the Rangers side, though, it's pretty phenomenal. And we'll talk to Rick Carpinello about the, his projected lines because I'm going to grill Rick about a bunch of stuff because I don't know what he's doing. So we'll, <laughs> we'll ask him about everything. But uh, they get back a competitive player who allows them to still be um, – the Rangers were quite good last year in the regular season. Maybe they were in a playoff team if it wasn't for COVID. But they were quite good. And Ryan Strom had great chemistry with Artem Panarin. And obviously they like each other. And he's a good locker room guy, which I know is bullshit for a lot of situations. But – People love Ryan Strom, and we had him on the show. He was He's incredibly likable, like insanely likable. So uh, I'm happy he got his cash, at least a good amount of it, $4.5 million. And I think the Rangers will try and trade him at all costs uh, at the deadline and in, and, and in the offseason. And if not, they'll let Seattle take a look, take a peek, decide if they want to take him to there. I think that's really all I can say about Ryan Strom at this point. Come back on the show, Ryan. Um, I was going to message him, but I didn't think it would work. Surprise. Uh, all right, let's talk about Brendan Lemieux real quick before we get to Rick Carpinello, who will be joining us in a few minutes. I just wish Brendan Lemieux had more tangibles or, th- <laughs> or th- things that I would I like. I just wish Brendan Lemieux was good. I was, because one of the things I was thinking about Brendan Lemieux, I was like, okay, let's let's evaluate his game like I'm Corey Bronman, like breaking down his mm-hmm. game with numbers, right? I was like, can he skate? Mm-hmm. I was like, well, not really. Um, what about his shooting ability? Well, it's not really there. The only way he scores goals is like when he's kind of around the net and it like bounces off him. And then he like, he's like, yeah, I got the goal. I like, okay, cool. All right. So he can't skate. What about his passing? Well, I don't know really about that. Well, was he physical enough? Like, yeah, I guess he does that, but not really. Like, yes, he has some hits and he's scrappy and he's a pest in that way. But I wouldn't say he's like an overly physical dominating player who could just like take someone to the boards and then outwin a puck battle. Like, what's his hustle like? Mm -hmm. And I was like, um... Well, yeah, none of that really works, huh? What, um, do I like this deal? Like, my gut reaction was like 1.5, what, 5, 5 million for Brendan Lemieux over two years. I was like, that's good. But I expected lower, and people, I guess, expected higher. But to me, I was like, I think that's like 
200,000, like it was like 10 years of like my salary higher than it should have been in my personal opinion. I was like in a really sad reflection moment of, of my life. I, I just um, don't get it. And I'd love for him to prove, I'd love for them to prove me wrong. And I'm sure there's Brendan Lemieux lovers out there that are like, Hey, he's a great player. A lot of scrap. We need that grip, baby. But I just, I, I'm watching some highlights of Brendan Lemieux. I was like, I don't know what he does well. Like, yeah, he draws penalties. It's cool. That's super dope. Anything else? Like, is Kevin Rooney a more valuable asset than Brendan Lemieux? Because I think yes. I mean, potentially. Here's here's the thing. We've, we've talked about this on the podcast before. I'm trying to pull up uh, his evolving hockey profile here, and I'm having a hard time because... It's all good. Twins hate me this week. Anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, it. all you need... So, Brendan Lemieux, fourth-line player. I don't, I don't think we need to be anywhere overly... Uh, nice about it i mean it's not even being nice like it is what it is but here's the thing we've talked about this before when it comes to the fourth line players as long as you're i don't like using the word elite but as long as you're very good at one thing on the fourth line you will have a long and profitable nhl career and brendan lemieux is really good at one thing which is drawing penalties he is incredibly good he's really good putting the rangers situations to capitalize yep. offensively. He doesn't he doesn't have to play a lot of ice time for this to happen. It's it's a very valuable thing to have, especially again for a guy he played a little over 12 minutes a night for the Rangers last year. I think part of that is inflated by the fact that for whatever reason the Rangers had him on their second power play unit and hopefully as the Rangers continue to evolve Brendan Lemieux is not on a special teams unit whatsoever. But in his 10-ish minutes a night, if he's creating a power play opportunity for the Rangers on a every other game basis, I think that's really good. That is really he's good. Not gonna, he's not going to score 40 points. He doesn't have a great shot. He doesn't play very well defensively. I think doesn't have he, a great shot is generous. I think it's generous. <laughs> yeah, I, he, he exists. But you, as little as the Rangers play their fourth line – as long as everyone on that fourth line is really good at one thing, I'm fine. I'm happy because at even strength, they're just not going to play. So Lemieux's there to draw penalties. Kevin Rooney is here to kill penalties. And Phil DiGiuseppe is here to kind of be a jack-of-all-trades master or none and be some responsible responsibility defensively. Like, if that's the fourth line, cool, that's great. Fine. great. That's, fine. that's not a bad fourth line. No. Would I pay Brendan Lemieux $1.5 million? Probably not. Okay, no. fo- follow up on that, Gregory. Is yeah. If his name's not Lemieux, mm-hmm. does he get more than minimum? I can't see it. I can't see it. I just don't see it. I don't know. I Maybe. It's tough to say. Yeah. This, he is a guy that had prospect pedigree. That's he's, fair. He's not a guy that just happened, right? It, like, Kevin Rooney just kind of happens. He's not a guy that came in with a lot of fanfare and hype. Right. Like Did an Lemieux come in with fanfare and hype because of his last name? It's totally possible, but... Again, it, it's – I don't know. He's a young player mm-hmm. that has – did he deserve a raise from last season? I think so. It, should that raise have been what the Rangers were offering, which is like a little – a shade over eleven uh, $1 million? Yeah, probably, most likely. But it's – for me, honestly, it's kind of picking nits with Brandon Lemieux. It's not one it, – it's one in – you can move a one million, one and a half million dollars. Whatever you want. Whenever you want. Yeah, you're right. 
All right, let's get to our guest, Rick Carpinello, our good friend of the show. Before we do that, let's take a quick break. Transition. Hey, we're back with our special fifth-year anniversary guest, our good, dear best friend, Rick Carpinello. Rick, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great. Happy anniversary, boys. Thank you so much. I have a first question. Um, if you could say something nice about us for our fifth-year anniversary that was really complimentary, what would you say? I would say that your loyalty to the team is wow. unbelievable. Thank you. Thank and, you so much. And that you're extremely loyal and that you're extremely knowledgeable, even though I don't always disagree. Always, I don't always agree. Um, I don't always disagree either. So I think you guys do a really good job, and I admire your passion for the team. Wow, Rick. Thanks I, uh, so much. If, if that's what you would say, I really don't want to know what you wouldn't say, but I appreciate I just, it. I just want to <laughs> point out that not even two minutes ago, before we even hit record with Rick, Ryan said, I'm not going to ask you any gotcha questions. <laughs> the very first question Ryan asked is a gotcha question. <laughs> I don't think that's a gotcha. I tell the truth, man. That's I'm not, it. I'm not, I'm not blowing smoke up there. Straight shooters. All right, buddy. Let's actually get to it. The Rangers, uh, people listen to, uh, obviously care a lot about your opinion on what's happening in the offseason. What are your thoughts on the Ryan Strom arbitration, or avoiding arbitration deal, and what getting uh, getting him for two years and $4.5 million means for the Rangers? You know, I wrote, I wrote all about it, and it's interesting. I wrote a little bit more about it today for tomorrow because I'm writing a story about the, um, the coming up trade deadline and free agency next summer mm-hmm. because there's nothing else to write about. <laughs> but um, I think it's really interesting. I think, you know, the Rangers wanted him back at a price, um, and they know they can't replace him right now. But I, but I'm sure that in the back of their minds, in the back of GM Jeff Gordon's mind and team president John Davidson's mind, and probably Coach David Quinn's mind, they know that ultimately they're going to need an upgrade at number two center. Um, I think they have a. I think there's a lot of comfort in Strom because he can play special teams and because he obviously works with Panarin and they like his personality. In fact, they love the way he's uh, seen in the locker room and the way he's seen by his teammates. Uh, So, you know, I think they did want him back um, at, but there was a price at which they didn't want to go over. And then there was the situation where he's certainly going to be on, on the chopping block in terms of a trade as soon as one comes up. I mean, if one comes now, it'll be now. If one comes at the next deadline, it'll be then. If one comes next summer, and then and then the following deadline will be the last shot. Um, I don't see any way he's here past this contract, and I think he knows that. So that was a good, it was a good deal for him. It was a good deal for them. Uh, he gave up a year of free, of free agency, and uh, he gets a chance to pad his statistics again with, with Panarin. Um, if he had had one more year and had a great year with the flat cap, he still wasn't guaranteed a big, big money next summer. So I think it was a good move for him to get the two years, which the Rangers wanted, and and uh, a fair amount of money. So uh, it works out for everybody, and again, but I don't think it's permanent, um, and I think he knows that. Uh, Rick, if – Strom, it, I'm trying to phrase this question without giving the question away before I do. I'm going to give you two players, and let, let's assume for a second that they play the exact same amount of games with the New York Rangers next year. So a full season for both players. Mm-hmm. At the end of the season, what would you say the percentage chance is that Philip Heedle ends the year with more games on the second line than Ryan Strom? 
if they are playing the same amount of games? Well, I mean, the, the qualifier there that you left out is how well is he playing? Right. So, I mean, I think both of them have a good chance of playing all 82 games. But if Hedl's not ready for that responsibility, then he won't be. And, and, and there's no point in this year when it's obviously – this year is going to be obviously a rebuilding year in, in the respect that they're coming back with the same team or less pretty much in terms of the veteran players that were on the ice when they stopped playing last year. Uh, I think that, therefore, you don't force Heedle. And what I wrote as far as a win for the Rangers in this deal was that they don't have to force him. And that, you know, if he's not ready for it, so be it. You know, Give him another year. He's only 21. Um, he obviously had some struggles at first when he first came into the NHL, and he was, you know, he was forced in as a teenager. Uh, I think that, you know, it, it benefits him to have Strom around. Uh, now, if, if Heedle is playing better than Strom, Heedle will be the number two center. And then the Rangers are really blessed to have Strom as a three center, although he's probably making too much money. It doesn't matter. This this year is about, you know, tr- getting to the corner and then turning it next year uh, and then thereafter. So I, I think I think Heedle will have every chance to prove that he's ready to do it. I don't know that he is, and I and we don't know uh, what Strom will be in, in comparison to what he did last year. We expect that he'll be. We expect that he and Panarin will work, but we'll also we'll also see how much, if at all, they miss Fast, and I think they will miss Fast. Yeah, let's get to that right now. So I've been um, pretty vocal about the Esper Fast deal that we went to Carolina, obviously for three years. And two million a year, which I thought was a spectacular deal for a player like Jesper Fast. Did you hear from the organization at all, or any other players, about how they felt about losing Jesper? Obviously, they're going to miss him a ton. Um, I think what he brought to the one the players player, like I don't know, six million years in a row, more than any Ranger. Yeah. Um, and not only that, but he played on the penalty kill. John Davidson came out and said, "Hey, this was about opportunity, playing time for other young wingers, and really about that third year that really did it for us." But uh, did you did you get any feedback from the organization? Did you get any feedback from players about what they they thought about losing Jesper? I do know that they didn't want to lose him, um, and I do know that once they accounted for all the all the possible bonus overages and payouts, that they couldn't keep him. Um, not knowing where Strom and D'Angelo were going to end up, end up at the time, um, and still having to sign Georgiev and Lemieux and Giuseppe and all the other guys, you know, they didn't know if they would have enough to sign fast. And they certainly, absolutely, 100% did not want to lose him, but knew they probably would lose him because of the flat cap and where they were. Um, the players the players are very, I don't want to say they're upset, because I think, you know, the guys, especially the guys who've been around since this whole thing started in 2018, they've seen guys go out the door, very popular guys. They've seen two guys go out the door before Foss did this year. They were very, very popular. Um, so... I don't think it's you know it's that kind of hurt because I think they've come to expect it, but they'll miss they'll terribly miss him as a player, um, and people un- underrate him. People say he's not that great and he should be on the third or fourth line and all, and all that's fine and good, but you still need you know when they came off the off the sweep by Carolina they said they needed you know, some body, some people who are tough to play against. And, and so I think they need more Jesper Fosts than fewer. Um, I don't agree that he's a first-line winger, but he, 
but those two guys needed him. So I, they'll miss him, and and I think they'll I think they will openly say that if we ever get off Zoom chats, if we ever get a chance to right. interview somebody face to face again, I think they'll say that. Um, and but I know that the Rangers didn't want to lose him, but they felt they were forced. Yeah, it. How I mean, obviously it became a big deal. Um, the Rangers only wanted to go two. Jesper obviously got a third year. Do you think the Rangers' unwillingness to go to that third year has to do with their confidence in their children that are coming up the pipe now on the wing? Yeah, I, I mean, certainly that's all part of it. Um, they they know that they're going to have to make room, and I think they're going to start, have to start making room this year. Um, you know, if, if Hedl and Kako and Lafreniere all – are ready to play. And I mean, play, you know, I want by play, I mean, play any like NHL players, like they're projected to play. And, and certainly Lafreniere and Kako aren't going to be 50 goal scorers right away, but they, they're going to be players who maybe can play on the, in the top six right away. Where are you going to put guys like Buchnevich? Where are you going to put guys like, you know, some of these other guys, they have come Morgan Barron when he, when he arrives and, you know, you can't have crafts up on the fourth line. So I think that certainly, there's time for them to make some room up front. And and that is one thing the Fost, losing Fost accomplishes, is that it opens up another hole for, for some young player to play. Um, as long as that young player is not, after this year, you know, Phil DiGiuseppe or, uh, you know, that type of player. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got to be one of, their, one of their draft picks who comes in this year or next year and, uh, and earns a spot. And... Uh, you can't you, again. I think Buchnevich is is probably in danger here because yeah, that was going to be my question there, Rick. Because yeah, go for it. Because if with with Buchnevich, like, could you see them shopping him? Because just like Ryan Strom, where they're going to take any chance and opportunity to get value for him. Truly, I believe that. I think Buchnevich. If you look through the projections for years down the line, I'm not sure they want to pay him more than five million dollars for five to six years. Um, as good as Buchnevich is, and we love Buchnevich, and we've been um, we've We've touted him on this podcast for a very, very long time, but still, I don't see. I just don't. I don't see the finances working. Do you see them trying to trade him at any point? Yes, absolutely. I, I don't. I, I agree with you. I don't think. I'm sure they don't want to pay him five million, um, and I, I don't think that. I think that what makes him a little easier to sell off is is there's still that something that that's not there all the time. Um, I, I think he. I think he's more engaged now than he ever was. Um, and, you know, most of the last year he was, and, and at the end of the previous year he was. Uh, but there's still that, you know, he turns it off sometimes. And I think that's going to make it easier for them to say goodbye to him when they ultimately do. Um, that said, he's an extremely talented kid, but he can't block Lafreniere or Kako from playing, you know, on one of those top two lines. And if Kreider's going to move to the left, to the right, which is very possible to make room for Lafreniere, then then where's Bushnevich going to play? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I mean, obviously, obviously this year you move up and play with uh, Stroman and Panarin, perhaps. <laughs> but, he, but once Kako's ready to take that job, then where's Bushnevich playing? He's not a third-line player. He's certainly not a fourth-line player. Absolutely not. So, so while, uh, I, I think he's, he's going to be available. While, while we're talking about guys switching sides here, um, We've, we've been hearing a lot about Kreider. We've been talking a lot about Tony D'Angelo. 
Yeah. Do you consider this year with as much money as Tony got uh, on his two-year bridge deal this year, can you see any situation in which the Rangers don't ask him to play on the left of either Truba or Fox? Uh, yes, <laughs> because, because A, they don't, really don't have a right-hand guy either. <laughs> and, and, but they do. They desperately need a left. They, you, know, they, you can't have Brennan Smith, Ryan Lindgren, Jack Johnson. I mean, that, it's simple as that. <clears throat> and even if Hayek or somebody else comes up and makes the team or, J, or if Keandre Miller arrives at some point, <clears throat> you still have that hole there on that left side. Um, but I can I can see them starting the season with him on the right, and I don't think he can play first pair. I'm sorry, I, you know I, I I really like what D'Angelo has become as a player, as a tough kid and a com- competitive guy. I think he's really improved the way he defends, and, and obviously his off, his offense has really blossomed. But I don't think you can play him top pair minutes against. Sidney Crosby, Alex Ovechkin, et cetera, et cetera. Jack Eichel, go on, you know, down the line. I don't think he can do that. I don't think I don't think he'll be better than Brady Shea. So, Oof! That well, hold on. <laughs> I, I don't. Well, I don't. I, in terms of in terms of being a first paired shutdown guy, I don't think he's better than Brady Shea. Definitely not on defense. So, he's been, he's always been yeah. offensive. You know what I mean? But um, he he moves the puck as well as anybody on the team. Maybe you know in the top small percentage of the league as far as moving the puck. But he doesn't defend. And you, I think you need somebody who can defend to play with Truba. Speaking of, yeah, speaking of this first pairing uh, with Truba, Truba obviously struggled the first year. And I think that's because he never really had a solid partner. All, all yep. Everything to Mark Stahl. You know, love Mark. Happy. Uh, hope, hope he has a happy rest of his career in Detroit. I have nothing bad to say about him now that he's not on my team. He's a great guy. Um Talk me off this ledge that my opening night pairing will not be Jack Johnson Truba as my first pairing. Just do it. Help me. Help me. Because I can't. That's what I. That's what I envision. That it's going to be Jack Johnson Jacob Truba opening night at MSG. Maybe. I think that's a nightmare. So you know, I don't have a. I don't have. A, I don't have a stake in this race, and I think it's a nightmare. So. But it feels I, realistic, you know, Rick. Like, am I crazy to think that that's a possibility? Yeah, it's possible. I, oh my God. I think I do. I do. And, and I, I wouldn't do it. Um, I would put Lindgren up there actually. And maybe fiddle with Fox and D'Angelo, maybe fiddle with whatever, you know, any other, any other combinations, um, Fox, Fox and Hayek, but I would not go Johnson Truba. And if you do, you're asking for trouble because, <laughs> you know, nice career that Jack Johnson's had, He's not a first pair player. I don't know that he's a top six, and uh, I think that would be a disaster if they if they give him that kind of responsibility and minutes. I think it would be a disaster for Truba. I think you know Truba finally seemed to get his legs under him late last season and the brief playoffs, and it was brief. Um, with as you said, without a partner, he had you know, he had Brady <laughs> that whole time. Right. And then he has Brendan Smith, who, God love him for for what he did, you know what, what he faced and put him through a lot. Stuck. Yeah, I mean he was fine for what they needed, but he can't be your first pair defenseman, and he's better than Jack Johnson. So, you know, do the math. 
I hate doing math, but same. I can do that one. Same. Speaking <laughs> of doing math, and Greg, unless you have a dire question here, I want to do a follow-up with the, the bonuses. Like, Do you think because of these bonuses that we've talked about, and again, we hate doing math, everybody on this podcast hates math, period. Greg likes no. numbers, but only when they're in his bank account. You know what I'm talking about? But in this in this case... Uh, d- d- Ryan didn't like him this week, and the Breeders' Cup really <laughs> royally porked me. Let me tell you. I've been on 28 races this week, and I won two. Five years, I did not baby. win those two big enough. Five years, stop oh, six, don't change. Um, oh, do, you think, do you think the bonuses uh, actually X out the uh, the chance that Keandre Miller or one of these players that have big-time bonuses could make the team? Like, is it less of a chance because of those bonuses? Or if they play... Like, if Keandre Miller plays well in camp and he impresses everybody, and he's just he's, is he just on this squad moving forward? Yeah, I think that JD and Gordon will have to fight David Quinn physically. I do. I think Keandre, so too. If Keandre Miller has a great camp, um, I don't. I don't think they'll do that. I don't. I, I, I don't fully understand all the numbers and how they kick in and what would have to happen if they start. If some of these kids start meeting these numbers, obviously something would happen. Have to happen to make room on under the flat cap, but. I think if Keandre Miller is ready to play and he has a great camp, he's on the team. And, and if they if they stop him from being in the NHL because of bonuses and because of a flat salary cap, that's just wrong. And they've never operated that way. I don't think they will. I don't, I don't believe that J.D. would ever allow that to happen either. I, I agree with everything you said. I also wanted to go back and just agree with you that Lindgren seems like the guy that needs to be playing with Truba just because I don't think you could ask Keandre Miller to do it as a rookie. I don't think you could ask Lieber Hayek to do it considering all we've seen from him to this point. And for the three of our sakes, I don't think we want to see Jack Johnson up there because Twitter would become even bigger dumpster fire than it already is. Uh, but Rick, my question to you, is there a move the Rangers didn't make this offseason that surprised you um, you know, I mean, the fact that they didn't do anything really significant, I mean, they, they, they made a bunch of little, as you saw, really small moves. Um, I can't say I was, I certainly wasn't surprised by the Lundquist move. I certainly didn't know the stall thing was coming, but thought it was possible. Um, and then losing Fost, you could kind of see it coming. Uh, so in terms of what they did, no, no surprises. In terms of what they didn't do, I guess I wasn't expecting much. Understanding as little as I do, understanding the salary cap and uh, and where they are, and and the the real realistic uh, situation that they're in with the two huge dead cap space, uh, dead cap space from the Lundquist and Shattenkirk buyouts. That's a Stanley Cup so, champion, by the way, Kevin Shattenkirk. Guess you're wondering. Yeah, I remember. <laughs> I'm re- and I am really happy for him because I'll tell you He's what, a great guy, man. I, 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 knocked him, I knocked him as a player a lot. But he is just one of the top, top people in the National Hockey League. And I've known him for a long time because he played in New Rochelle. He grew up in New- He didn't play in New Rochelle. He grew up in New Rochelle and played in Greenwich. And I've known him for, for quite a long time and uh, – just a tremendous guy. Um, so happy for him. So so much. So happy for him to, to get that cup. But um, but his buyout, you know, it's strangling. I think I still think signing him when they did was the biggest mistake of, of the rebuild, and it was just poorly timed. And even they knew 
his deficiencies when they did it. So I think that was the biggest mistake of the entire rebuild. And people say, well, the rebuild didn't start till February that year. In my opinion, the rebuild started when they traded Stepan and bought out Girardi. Agreed. So, uh, you know, and got the first-round pick for Stepan uh, and get D'Angelo. Um, I think that that was the that was the rebuild beginning. And in fact, the year before, I had asked Gordon if he I think it was that breakup day the year before. Uh, I asked Gordon if he ever thought about you know blowing it up and starting over, and he said he had after the prior year's uh, playoff failure. So I think that I think that signaled the start of the rebuild, and that Shattenkirk Shattenkirk signing was a big mistake at that time. That now we just got completely off course. <laughs> no, it's totally fine. But no, but knowing that, knowing that they had that whatever it is, twelve million in dead space, um, I, I I really couldn't expect them to do anything else. Something but, I so oh, I, the, but I was just gonna say, um, just considering how much we've talked about it before, obviously the opportunity existed for the Rangers to trade one of Strom or D'Angelo if they wanted to. But you're not surprised they ended up keeping both. No, I thought that you know there was a chance they would um, they would trade Strom, uh, and I think they tried to do it at the draft. I think they tried to do it uh, at the deadline, and I think they will continue to, to try to do it um, in the future if and when they can get something for him. They're not gonna they're not trading him for good riddance, and they don't dislike him. And now they don't think he's making too much money. Um, but they, you know, he's a guy who is not going to be here in two years, and he's not going to be part of the turning the corner, and he can't be your number two center, and he can't make four point five million and be your third center. So, uh, I still think he's going to be up for grabs and in play all the time. Well, we didn't talk about the draft with you, Rick. Um, I think we've kind of. Uh... We've all been pretty busy these past couple weeks, so we haven't had the time to kind of break this down. Obviously, the Rangers are super pumped to have Lafreniere, um, the first overall pick. There's no real surprise there, and there's no analysis we can all do except he's probably really good. On top of that, um, some people are still surprised by the trading up of, uh, for Brandon the Josh Schneider, and or maybe uh, even trading Leah Sanderson. Was there anything the Rangers did that surprised you? Um, they loved Braden Schneider, and just from what, even just like some of the behind-the-scenes clips where JD's like muscle, toughness, grit. Like this is the kind of player we saw win in the playoffs, and that's what they went up for. Even even though like draft nerds that we know were were super upset and crying into their cereal bowls. Because they traded, because they drafted him, or because they because they drafted him. Yeah, they yeah. were a lot of people were against the Schneider draft, especially uh, uh, I'll, people I'll we knew the what. night of. Uh, I, I, you know, I'm not going to pretend that I had even ever heard his name before mm-hmm. the draft. So, but I will tell you that they absolutely love him, and I will tell you that other people from other teams that I've talked to think they made a great pick, um, including the team that was about to draft him, the Devils. The Devils. Yeah. Right. So, um, you know, again, I'm not going to pretend to know a thing about this kid except what the Rangers have told me and what the mm-hmm. people on the draft telecast have said about him. Um, but yeah, I mean, if he can, if he's that good a skater and can play physically and with some bite, uh, that's a, you know, that's the guy that that's the kind of guy they need. Again, we're not going to see him for two right. years, three minimum. maybe. Yeah, probably three. And but they, but they love him. they absolutely loved him. 
One thing, one thing I noticed a lot about this draft, Rick, and, and correct me if I'm wrong. Maybe you heard this, and kind of that's why I'm trying to con- kind of confirm it. It seems the Rangers are really taking, and I, I don't want want to put this the wrong way, but it seems like they're taking character seriously into consideration to their draft picks. Obviously, Lafreniere, you just take him. He's the best player available. He's the number one overall pick, etc. But every other draft pick, they like. It seems they took the character and the interview sessions like a lot more seriously than they would have like uh, quote unquote the scout sheets this time. It, it, did you hear anything of that of that from like? J.D. and Gordon, or am I just making yeah. shit up here? No, you're not, actually. You're, you're, you're dead on. And, and I'll, I'll say this, too. I'll go back to 2018 um, when, they, when they sent out the letter and they were talking about they're gonna, we're going to draft kids with character. And, uh, and this, this, this is what they said in 18. And then, you know, they thought they had that in Leah Sanderson. turned out to be unproven. Mm-hmm. But they certainly thought they were getting that in Howden. Uh, they, they certainly knew they were getting that in Lindgren. And they made that effort then. I think they backed off that a little bit as they built up the skill that they badly, badly needed in the organization. You know, when you get a Kako, as great a kid as he is, uh, you know, you don't get him for, for character or grit or any of that stuff. And right. Lafreniere has a, little, has a little bite, from what I understand, in terms of getting in on the forecheck and causing problems. Um, but, you know, I think once they loaded up on, on the skill and then once Carolina happened, I mean, that, that three game series, three nights brutal, was vicious. And I think it opened, I think it popped their eyes open. Um, now again, you can't just have character. You can't just have, you know, Justin Williams and, and guys like that, Braden, you know, Braden Coburn, you know, those are the guys that, you know, Tampa gets or or another team gets when they're close. You don't go drafting guys like that. You don't go drafting for just for character. But the the two guys that they got uh, late in the first round and in the second round are players, too. I mean, again, prove me, you know, prove it to me Mm -hmm. when I see it. Um, I thought from all I heard that they had that in Anderson. And uh, so let's see. But they, they've done the, the part of the rebuild with some luck where they've added elite talent, elite skill that they badly needed. And now they have to add the other parts to, to an organization. Uh, but they can't sacrifice talent and just get grit. They can't do that. Cannot do that. Rick, I guess this is the part of the, I mean, it's, the Rangers haven't done much this offseason, so forgive us for not having more offseason questions for you. But I, I, I think you you told this to us as well. That, you know, you can only talk about that so much. Let's talk about this fairyland world where the New York Rangers are playing hockey again, and they're doing it for 82 games. And who knows, maybe one day we'll even be able to see them in person, huh. perhaps. Huh. Uh, you... um. You so kindly put out your projected lines already once in one article that I've seen written <laughs> in the last couple of weeks. How about we tear that apart for the next 10 minutes? <laughs> Jesus. Hey, let's, let's do it, because I knew it wasn't perfect. I, I just I just figured I was going to throw it together after I'd given you all the information I, I thought of. Uh, I thought these two moves provided, the, the two signings um, of Lemieux and Strom and what that meant up front. But how they're going to fit together... Go ahead. <laughs> I'm, I'm listening. <laughs> well, I, it, it's more of, I think, 
and I, you've pointed this out a couple times as well. I think it's an inevitability that Kreider moves over to the right. Mm-hmm. But you would be surprised if that happened on opening night itself. Yes? Not necessarily. But, you know, well, you know why? Because when you say opening night, when you say opening night, I don't. I, I no longer. I've been doing this for too goddamn long to, to to say opening night because everything you plan opening night now changes in training camp, and you don't know what what's going to happen in camp. And if if they show up in training camp and Kako is ready to go and ready to r- rock and roll and Lafreniere is not, then Kreider plays left wing with Zabanajad and either Buchnevich or Kako. And Kako plays with Panarin and Strom. And, it, you know, so, so, so no, Kreider's on the left wing. Um, that said, if Kako's not ready to go and Buchnevich is, is one of your right wings and Lafreniere is top six, then Kreider moves. Simple. So, you know, I can't say uh, opening night is, is going to be, uh, you know, what I predict now. That's not gonna, that's probably not going to happen. But what's going to happen, opening training camp, I think Kreider's on the left. I, so, I guess that, I, right, you're right. Though all we should be planning for is for day one of training camp. So, no. but Lafreniere is going to have to knock the doors down in order to get in the top six in your mind? Or do you think... It's almost – from what we know with Quinn is he's never allowed a rookie to not earn his spot, but he's also never given them a spot outright. Right. So I it would be unrealistic to believe that Lafreniere has a top six spot for him to lose, right? It's more of if he earns it, he'll get it. But Quinn personally probably planning him on the third line right now. Yeah. I, you know, I, I think – They'll give him the opportunity, though. I think in you know, I don't know how many preseason games they're going to play. Hopefully, more than one this time. But um, you know, I think he'll get a chance to play with Mika and with uh, with Panarin, or not with Panarin, with uh, Strom and with Heedle. I think he'll get a chance to play with all those guys during the during the preseason. He'll probably play all whatever. If it's six games, he'll probably play all six. If it's five games, he'll play all five. You know, and I think that. Um, the opportunity is going to be there. I think Quinn would love to see him, you know, force his way into the top six. But that said, Quinn's here to develop. That's the number one thing on his resume or on his mandate, even though he'll say he wants to make the playoffs and win. Uh, You know, he has to develop. And he's not going to put Lafreniere in a bad spot. Certainly you're not going to do anything to mess with that kid in his first year. And we saw – what the number one pick did last year, um, and that kid struggled. And uh, so I don't we saw Kako. Gonna... I mean, Kako struggled. Yeah, so he, had a, right, right. he had a real so, rough year up to the playoffs. Yeah, like his yeah, playoff, and, his playoff super imp- impressive. But at the rest of the year was yeah. real rough. Yeah, and, and so was use. You you know use really struggling. It's hard. You know, it's really hard. I think you know Lafreniere is seen by the experts, and I am not one of them. I'm not an expert. Uh, on prospects, but he's seen as a better prospect than both of those guys. So we'll see. But I don't think you force him to do anything that he's not ready for. Um, but he'll, as I said, he'll get the opportunity. With uh, so obviously, I think he'll start on the. Uh, not not so obviously, but I think he'll start on the third line just from David Quinn. 
obviously one of the things you said there was David Quinn is here to develop. This is sort of the last year he still has a chance to develop, right? Because after this, it's like, hey, put up or shut up and, and win. Because I've liked Quinn as a, quote, a coach so far. It's been nice for the rebuild. I thought he's handled the team really well, like his personality. But and I don't know if there's anything you've heard about this, but do they expect Quinn to be the coach when they turn the corner? They hope he is. Right. Um, you know, they hope he doesn't do anything that's going to make them change their minds. Because when they turn, if they turn the corner in 21, 22, and that's possible, he's still going to have Miller arriving and Robertson arriving and, and uh, Barron arriving. You know, there's still going to be plenty of, of youth coming, and it's still going to be a very, extremely young team. In fact, it's, it's going to be young. It could be younger this year than it was last year. And in 21, 22, it could be younger even still than it was this year. So I think they hope because because he is a, a guy who develops talent and, and is good the way he handles the kids. He's a teacher and he's a hands-on guy and he's a communicator. I think they hope and pray that he's a good enough coach when they do turn the corner to still be here. Um, but that said, I think, you know, in the beginning of the turning, when you start making that right, <laughs> I, I think that, that he's going to be here because they're still going to be very, very young, and they're still going to need that guidance. Um, and then when they are ready in spring of 22, say, uh, which is possible, to, to be at least in the mix uh, in the playoffs, to, to be a team that has a chance uh, in 2022, and then if he can't handle that, then we see. Then we see maybe they have to do it. He hasn't, you know, he hasn't done anything to show that he can't coach yet but he hasn't had an opportunity to show that he can be an NHL coach of a contending team yet. So um, I'm not saying he can. I'm not saying he can't. I, we don't know. I don't think anybody knows. Mm-hmm. Uh, last one for me, Rick, before we so graciously thank you for your time with us and let you go back to, uh, I guess, preparing for your next round of golf because the weather <laughs> is still incredibly nice. Um, <laughs> we haven't mentioned his name yet on this podcast, and it feels weird to say that. How much of the starts will Igor Shosturkin get to eat up this year, percentage-wise? Yeah, well, if it's if it's eighty-two games, I, I think he gets fifty-five minimum. Um, and so whatever percentage, <laughs> I don't do percentages, man. Math, we don't do it. It's not a math podcast. I think we agreed on this. But, You're supposed but to be think... Steve Kornacki. You're supposed to get in there, show us what the counties are doing. Come on. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Let me give you one. I'll give you a couple of heat maps. <laughs> but, uh, he, uh, he, you know, he's the number one goalie. There's no question about it. Um, you know, and if you're a little nervous, you have the right to be that he got hurt a couple times last year. You know, they're a little, they're, except for the automobile accident, there were little nicks and things. But he went down twice, and uh, that's, you know, for a young kid, that's not good. So it could be just a fluke. It could both be little, little tiny injuries that anybody could suffer. You hope he's not brittle, uh, and you hope he can handle a big load because he'll get a big load. Right. Uh, they love Georgiev, and if Shesterkin gets hurt or isn't playing well, they're perfectly comfortable riding Georgiev for a while. But I think if all things are equal and they're both healthy, Shesterkin is their number one and, and gets number one time. I get, he gets most, he gets the lion's share. Final question for me, Rick. Obviously, you you know you talked about Igor being banged up and not 
Definitely not that Henrik Lundqvist forced his way to playoff starts in his last games as a Rangers. Definitely not that. Um, since Henrik has left the team, he's become so much cooler on social media and is so awesome and is making me jealous. Is this ex-girlfriend relationship syndrome where he goes out there, he's like, hey, look, I'm awesome now and I, everyone knows I'm awesome. I didn't do any of this when we were together, but now I have to show off. Like, why does he want to hurt me so much is my final question. Yeah, I thought about that too. I, I'm sure it's not bad. I think it's more that, you know, the owner of the Capitals is very social media conscious. Um, the the cap you go you go to a Capitals game and sit in the press box, and every blogger in the in the District of Columbia is in the press box. Like it's unheard. Excuse me, of. I'm crying. Um, Excuse me, I'm crying. <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> it, it, it's un, it's unheard of, and and frankly, it's a little bit annoying when you're trying to work, but it, but it's. Uh, he is really social conscious, and I think that um, I think Henrik was kind of told that you know that, that this would be really great for you to do. I think. I mean, I'm speculating. I haven't right. This is him. speculation, allegedly. Yeah, I, I haven't spoken to him since the Zoom call on the on the last uh, his last start, and uh, so I, you know I don't I don't know what it is, but he has been out there a lot, and good for him. You know what? Good for him because anything he does. Um, he's handled himself with so much class and dignity and he does so much good for communities and for charities. Whatever he does, I'm good with it. I, if he wins the Stanley Cup this year, I'm good with it. If he, I'm too. When he goes to the Hall of Fame, I'm going to be so happy. When, he, you know, when his number goes up, I'm going to be there. And all those things. Uh, he's one of the coolest athletes that I've ever covered. Um, one of the guys who really, really gets it. And uh, if he wants to be out there on social as long as he's not talking politics. Um, <laughs> I'm just pissed off because one, I'll never get a seat as a blogger. I'm not even a blogger. I'm the number one podcaster with Greg. We'll never get anything. And Hank's just out there having the best time of his life every day. Like I love Washington. It's great here. And I'm sitting here like I want to end my life. All right, Rick. Thanks. So thanks so much for coming on for our fifth year anniversary. This was awesome. Uh, anything else you got to plug? You got the Ryan Strom story coming out for the athletic, obviously anything else? Uh, tomorrow I've got a story about the next trade deadline and free agency. Awesome, awesome. When, uh, when, when are you doing our big expose? Which one? The one on the us. The one about the, us. Our, yeah, the fifth year anniversary. Now, the right? podcast. That, a, are you guys? Re, do you guys really want me doing an expose on you? I mean, I you, yeah, I mean, yes. <laughs> <laughs> you guys really want me digging up stuff? All right, I'll ask the real question that me and Greg want to ask. Has Vince invited you on the podcast yet? Because he hasn't invited on us. Um, Vince. <laughs> Uh, we, don't, we don't mention his employer anymore. So. Oh, okay. Sorry. Ooh. Sorry. Sorry. My apologies. My apologies. My I like apologies. Vince. I, I really like Vince. Yep. Um, he helped me a lot when I was there, and he's a nice kid, and he works really hard, but we do not. <laughs> okay. We don't talk do about them? not plug his employer in any way. So I do, sh I do poop on it a lot on the internet. Is that okay? <laughs> That's fine. Okay. <laughs> All right, good. We're good. Rick, you're the best, man. Thanks so much for coming on. Guys, happy anniversary. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Bye. Take care. Hey, we're back. Great interview with our dear best friend, Rick Carpinello of The Athletic. I think we did some great, great questions. Great questions, Greg. High fives. Nice. Took All right. five years of practice. We finally got it. We then. finally figured it out. Um, We're going to talk about not hockey now so if you're done with the podcast what? yeah i totally respect it you could turn this podcast off right now we're gonna talk about the mets and some other things um but if you've supported us over the years can't thank you enough patreon supporters people we know everybody else our friends people who've the haters everybody thank you so much uh, from greg and i uh, anything else you want to say before they get out of here 
Nah, we'll see who sticks around another five years. We'll, we'll see. <laughs> Even us, who knows? All right, uh, we're follow me on Twitter or I mean follow Greg at Blue Shirts Breakaway. All right, Greg. Uh, mm. Friday during mm. a uh, a pivotal moment in history around the world, uh, elections and and votes being counted or not counted around. I was in Philadelphia. And I'm going to say it right now. It was only pivotal because of what you're about to say. Yes. Uh, and as I was looking among the streets of Philadelphia, as the the protests continued, I saw the text. The, the, mm. deal, the deal is closed. And I continued to ride my bike. And as I got and parked my bike, I, I put the lock on. And I checked Twitter one more time to post a video of what I was seeing. And it said, mm-hmm. everyone has been fired from the Mets organization at this time. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everyone is gone. And I thought to uh. myself... In any other life, in any other day, I would want to speak to Greg at this moment. It's the most I've ever wanted to speak to you, and I couldn't. Please tell me your immediate reaction. My immediate reaction... The the, the pace in which it happened... So quick. ...was incredible. It was... It, it was because there had... Honestly, honest to God, there hadn't been... There was this uh, assumption that... Steve Cohen and Sandy Alderson would want to uh, clean house a little bit, put the guys they want in to get there. But there was still this uneasiness about if it would actually happen because there was this lingering question of how much did Sandy Alderson want to be in charge of things this off season? So maybe that it would have been like a, Get a couple months in. Let Sandy can, can you, like, do his thing. Give me up to get the date on this. Like I know Alderson, he he went through some health problems and went through everything, and all of a sudden Steve Cohen's yeah. back. He's like, I love that guy. He's in charge of everything. Well, so you have to remember that Steve Cohen's was a part owner of the Mets before he bought the whole shebang, right? Got it. So Steve Cohen has a lot of familiarity with the people organizational around. structure himself. Yes, he he saw firsthand. He was sadly a silent partner. And he couldn't have as much of a say as he wanted to have. But it was very clear Sandy Olison always wanted to do more with the Mets. And the Wilpons never let him do more. So I don't think – Sandy's health definitely played into it when he left. But I also think there was just this sense of, fuck this. Like, I'm too old for this shit is how Sandy Olison eventually felt when it mm-hmm. came to the Wilpons. Um I, I, for everything I've been able to read, everything I've been able to pick up, and just from being able to follow the Mets as much as I have, it's very clear that Sandy's dream is not to run the Mets on a daily basis. All Sandy wants to do is here's this organization that he's played a very large role in establishing. Just about every star that is on the Mets today is here because of Sandy Olsen. Pete Alonso was a Sandy draft pick. Dom Smith, a Sandy draft pick. DeGrom was brought up through the system under sandy uh right like i don't i don't McNeil. think sandy wanted to ship out kalenic that's that's what i'll say he wouldn't have that was his final first round draft pick right um and also sandy would have understood that if sandy was in charge he would have gone to the Wilpons and said look you can get diaz all it's going to take is you to eat cano's contract that's it that's all you would have to do sure you'd have to give up like a middling prospect Maybe Justin Dunn is still traded. Right, no, but one even, way or even the then, other. and you know we're we're prospect nuts. I had Klenick on my board as two of that draft, number two. Yeah, no, uh, and Alderson loved Klenick. That was his guy. He wanted to make sure he got Klenick. There was no situation in which Alderson was trading Klenick, especially for a reliever. It, it's just that simple. It wouldn't have happened. Uh, but that's neither here nor there. 
I'm excited for Clinic to win Rookie of the Year next year. It's 100%. really going to be great for my dynasty team. Yep. Um, but yeah, I, Alderson, I think the reason why Cohen did it immediately is because Alderson is confident if he has to get the Mets through this offseason, he, he can do it. This is, this is, he knows everything about this organization. There aren't players here. There's, what, two draft classes that Alderson needs to familiarize himself with? And the way Brody conducted those drafts is he took five guys and then just didn't make any other picks because he wanted to just pay those five guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, Sandy has to feel pretty, uh, by the way, first name basis with all these. Guys. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Alderson has to feel like he's good. Yeah, I, I, it's very clear. Um, there have been a lot of reports. Apparently, before the Mets hired Brody Van Wagenen, Steve Cohen had highly encouraged the Wilpons to interview uh, assistant general manager of the Tampa Bay Rays, Bobby Heck. Get out of here. So it, it, Get the fuck uh, out. <laughs> Bobby Heck is one contender, but Alderson also went back to the A's and has a lot of good relationships with the A's. And everyone, we're going to hear a lot about this guy, Billy Owens, over the next couple of days. Uh, I think those are probably your two leading candidates for the Mets job. Um, yeah, I, I, it doesn't surprise me. It, Alderson wants his guys. Now, the interesting here is Luis Rojas is an Alderson guy. Rojas was brought into the system by Alderson. Right, so, so maybe he doesn't I, toss him out right away like he yeah, did everybody I, else? Well, I don't, th- I, don't think, I don't think Rojas is going to go anywhere because he was um, a highly respected minor league manager under Alderson, and Alderson kept promoting him. So I, I, I do think Rojas is going to... Can I go sideways for just like Rojas, two seconds? I would have done it already. I'm going, sideways just, I'm going sideways just for two seconds. Okay. So everybody that was in part of that scandal, pretty much, is like back in baseball or is suing baseball. Except You're about Beltron? Except for Carlos Beltron. So what am I missing? If we just could forgive first time, first time Al... manager. It's simple. He doesn't have a ring. I just don't get it. Like, well, I, I think Beltron's going to come back. I think he's going to have to start as a bench coach. I don't think someone's going to try to make him a manager right away. At least I don't think any of these guys should be in baseball anymore, period. End of story. But if they're all back, like Carlos Beltran, well-respected guy, clearly very intelligent, and, and, and we never saw to get him, we never saw, got to see a chance of him as a manager. But everyone else is back. Everyone else is managing or doing something in baseball. It's ridiculous. Well, remember that Cora was rehired by the team that fired him. Correct, after he got a ring. ring. Right. Yeah. And A.J. Hinch has a ring and went to another World Series as well. Fine. It just, it's to it me. Sucks, it's, it sucks for Beltron. It, it does. Sits I'm, the wrong I'm not going to say it doesn't. If, I if, think he's. I think someone's going to bring him in as a bench coach, and it could be the Mets. Imagine a scenario in which Rojas is manager and Beltron's bench coach. I think it's totally possible. That's totally fine. I just it doesn't make sense to me if that's how we're going to work as as baseball. Like we're, we're going to let these other guys back in, but Beltron now we're good. I don't get it. So anyway, that's what I, I wanted it, to talk about. If if Beltron had even one year of managerial experience. I credit to baseball where they do try to there's not a uh, rotation of the same 35 candidates for every job opening in baseball teams do go off the beaten path a lot more than they used to right um I don't know you also have to think about it from Beltron's perspective dude yeah it's not like the Mets stopped paying them that guy's still cashing checks man he's not in a hurry I actually didn't think about that good point yeah yeah, Cohen doesn't care. Money. All right, so Brody gets fired right away. This is yeah. what I let's get right. into it. Um, I didn't hate Brody, didn't love him. Again, I want to point out to all the people still listening, if you're still around, I am not a Mets fan. 
I'm very much a race fan. Can confirm. Uh, um, I do not care, but I am invested in the team somewhat because I talk to Greg all the time, and I'm also yep, sucks for you, man. I'm also from New York, so I'm very familiar with all things baseball. I like Brody a little bit, but I thought a lot of his uh, strategies were particularly interesting, and some of his signings were were bad. Were you shocked mm-hmm. that he got sent away right away, or like, hey, I own the team now. I want all my own people. I don't care. Once they announced Sandy Alderson was going to be team president, it was just a matter of time. Got it. Uh, I it all it. Brody is not a Sandy guy. Uh, I think the the nicest way you can describe Brody's two years as Mets manager, uh, general manager, is checkered. Um, for every good move he made, I will still defend the Marcus Stroman trade. Um, but if you're going to make the Marcus Stroman trade, I don't understand what you did with Zach Wheeler. I get that at some point. That's the Wilpon saying we're not paying Zach Wheeler. But still, you allowed yourself to get into that situation where you essentially walked away for, from Zach Wheeler just for a compensatory draft pick when you could have gotten so much more. Um, a lot more. The the Kalenic trade, case in point, we're done there. Done. Uh, as much as I like him bringing in J.D. Davis on the low, what he did with the Astros, it's, it's hard to ignore the fact that he made similar trades for Jake Marisnik and Keon Broxton that just cost the Mets depth prospects that could turn out. Um, especially Blake Taylor, who's now a good solid reliever with the Astros. And, you know, the New York Mets don't necessarily have relievers. Reliever. They don't do it. Um, I understood what he was trying to do by signing Porcello and Waka, but everybody and their mother could have told you those guys were cooked. And big fucking surprise, those guys were still cooked. Shocker. Um, do you think he yeah, gets a it, job anywhere else? No, not not I as don't. a general manager, but even, I guess, I, I really don't think he gets well, he anywhere. Have to, I, I, I did the reading. He has to recertify as an agent if he wants to become an agent again. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from what Ken Rosenthal reported, uh, hashtag the athletic Ken Rosenthal. Hey. Apparently, Major League Baseball Players Association uh, not happy with how Brody left as an agent. So Rosenthal said that if Brody wants to stick in baseball, it's probably in a TV gig. Which possible? I could see him getting some kind of ESPN job. Huh? That's interesting. He's also making bank too, so he doesn't have to work for. I'm a not while. worried about it, but it was weird that he was like the manager or the the agent for most of the Mets, and then yeah, yeah, the yeah, like Jed Lowry, who played all of seven games and had eight at bats in two years. Cool, twenty million dollars, right? Yep, sure did. Wow. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. Money doesn't matter to me anymore, so I don't even have to. Joke about <laughs> right? That. What like, is no money? One... Here's the thing. Next year, when someone's like, hey, man, happy Bob Bonilla Day, I'm going to be like, great. I don't fucking care. We, we just gave Francisco Lindor $300 million. Yeah. My we gave like, Bob Bonilla a double, and we gave it today. <laughs> yeah, that's, but, Ryan, I got to tell you, my yeah. absolute favorite thing I've seen so far this entire offseason is uh, just every report about any free agent being available. And everyone's like, well, the Mets are going to get the first crack. And then whatever the Mets want to do, whoever decides to do it after them, go for it. Yeah, so I saw like, like three articles today. It was like, who's going to the Mets first, Lindor or Arenado? And I was like, wait, yeah, hold I on. Saw, what I are saw we, like three, what I saw are we three talking articles about? today from Cleveland reporters being like, Francisco Lindor is going to get traded. Will the Mets bite first? And if the Mets don't bite, will they actually trade him? So it's just like, yeah, life is good again, man. This is what I love. This is um, crazy. Get excited, dude. Bobby Heck is going to be Mets general manager. I'm going Super to pissed off that about that. Day. I mean, it was, it was really close to being a Rays guy who now works with the Red Sox first. So there you go. Um, well, that's the thing. That's the thing. I always go like high and bloom. Yes, yeah, so I, I I love forgive him for what the Mookie Betts shit did. But there's there's like that that was wasn't that wasn't high and bloom that did that. That mm-hmm. wasn't. I mean, I, that was him that made the trade, but mm-hmm. it wasn't him that called that. They mm-hmm. said they said uh, they said to him, "We don't want to pay Mookie. Trade him." 
That's what happened. Had to be. I don't know, man. I don't know. I I don't know. I really don't because I guarantee you, High and Bloom would have been Mets general manager if he wanted to be Mets general manager. But he took one look at the Mets finances and said, "Get the fuck out of here. I'm leaving." Like, there's just no way. He I wanted. See, to, I thought Hyam they wanted, wanted to strip Brody it down over. and build it in his own image. Yeah. Well, now he's gonna get to do that with the Red Sox. Congratulations. Yeah. So you, I don't know if he didn't want to pay Mookie. Like maybe that went into it, but I think Hyam was very comfortable with trading Mookie. Hyam wanted to trade Jacob Degrom. Not paying, not paying Mookie is the dumbest thing of all time. <laughs> it's so dumb. I know. Uh, so dumb. But yeah, I no that 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 uh, that massacre was expected. I, I I again very surprised it happened as quickly as it did. We were talking less than an hour after he was like, by the way, the bro, final. I think it was thirty six minutes, and I'm not kidding. Like I <laughs> I saw the tweet. I took a bike ride. I opened it. Everyone was dead. I was like, okay, yeah, that's it. And, uh, amazing, but. I, if, if there's if there's any guy who could be the interim, which is what Sandy essentially is now because he's the president and he wants to hire a guy under him, nobody knows the system better than Sandy because he built the entire damn thing. Like, if people forget, Sandy was here for like a decade. Right. He was around for a long time. He's been around forever. And so I'm sure Cohen has a great relationship with him. So that's probably part of it. Yeah, I just – I, I not to bring this back to American politics, Ryan. But here but we I are. Cohen also knows that Sandy Allison is just an adult. And now there's going to be an adult in the room making adult decisions for the organization. Right. So, like, if Sandy if Sandy goes to Steve Cohen and says, hey, man, we need to spend this amount of money to do this thing, I think Steve Cohen understands and trusts that this framework that's being presented in front of him is the best course of action to take because Alderson's done it everywhere he's went. So there, there's an adult in the room now. and Don't see, how this, don't see how this was politics related, but that's okay. <laughs> just, just move on. 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 <laughs> uh, I'll, I, look, it, if Alderson fucks it up, he fucks it up. But I, it, it's hard to imagine anyone that has known this Mets organization better. It, if Sandy can't figure it out, no one can. So, get rid of everybody. Give Sandy his chance. And if Sandy doesn't, if Sandy's not able to do it, I guarantee you, Steve Cohen will be like, "Cool, man. Next, let's go. Let's keep this. Let's keep the ball rolling here." I'm very excited for the 12:30 press conference tomorrow. I've never been this excited for a press conference in my entire life. I it, can I tell you something really extremely unreasonable, like extremely. I feel uh, like we have a better chance to get Steve Cohen on this podcast than most Rangers. I don't know that. I don't think that's unreasonable. <laughs> it's great. I like. I feel like there's a chance. Like it could happen. I know that sounds ridiculous, but when you like, even when you made the joke, like you know who's coming on, Rick or Steve Cohen, I was like, I think he's obtainable. Where I don't think we'll ever speak to Chris Kreider. Like I just, I just think it's a possibility. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Well, it feels weird. I'm not gonna sit here and say no, baby. Steve. Steve. Come on, buddy. Steve. Bubba. I just feel I like he gets the, the email. Athletic. He's I like a Ranger podcast. A podcast. That's I think a it's Mets called podcast. the Retrospective. Tim Britton's good people. I don't know Pete McCarthy personally, but I'm sure he's good people too. I understand that you could go to a different podcast. To right. Talk. If you wanted to go on the athletics. Yeah. But baby, there's no way that's going to treat you as well as Uncle Greg does. <laughs> Come on now. Bubby. My guy. My dude. My G. My Stevie. Yeah, Come Steve, on, baby. Stevie Come C. on. We'll, right, we'll have a lot of talks. I'll, I'll ask you questions about why uh, trading Kevin Smith for fucking Miguel Castro is some of the stupidest shit that I've ever seen in my entire life. One of my favorite podcasts. Uh, yeah, I just. Five years. You know what, man? 
Fuck Brody. I'm gonna say it. Fuck that guy. <laughs> I was such an apo- I was so apologetic for every move that he made. And now that I'm thinking about the stupid shit that he pulled at this year's deadline during a dumb fuck 60 game season. Fuck Brody, man. Fuck him. Todd Fraser, fuck him. Robinson Chirinos, fuck him. Miguel Castro, fuck him. He they were all, they were all a really weird move. All right. Now, is, that- Miguel Castro had 13 good innings. What what what? What, why? What, Who, why? what, where, when, why? why? <laughs> Unbelievable. Uh, classic way to end Blue Shirts Breakaway, number one New York Rangers podcast. Can't thank you all enough for the joining us for the five years. Love you all. Patreon subscribers, people we met, friends, family, enemies, rival podcasts of networks we're not allowed to talk about. Thank you all so much. Mm. We'll be back later in the week with an OT. I don't know what the hell we're talking about, but we'll be back. And then we'll be back. To- well, it'll be post Steve Cohen press conference. I could just talk about that for the <laughs> Honestly, yeah, we'll see what the athletic says. Um, they're like, yeah, Matt's fine. That's fine. Um, all right. Yeah, we think- just won't tell them. We'll just do it. That's it. That's true. All right. We're, uh, we'll be back. We'll love you guys. Uh, thanks for listening. We'll be back, I guess, with week one of year five to next. Oh, my God. Week mm-hmm. two? I want to. Yeah. All right. Bye, everyone. Love you. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.